Welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Anne Louise Gittleman is a New York Times bestselling author of over 37 books on diet, detox, the environment, and women's health. For more than four decades, Anne Louise has been regarded as a leading voice and visionary in nutrition and who has fearlessly stood on the front lines of holistic and integrative medicine. For more information, check out annlouise.com. That's A-N-N-L-O-U-I-S-E.com. And here's your host, Anne Louise Gittleman. Hi, everyone. Anne Louise Gittleman here for yet another episode of First Lady Nutrition Podcast. Visit me at annlouise.com. Check out my supplements at unikeyhealth.com and pick up your women's world every single week where you can see my latest tips and tricks for radical health healing. Today, my guest is Dr. Marie Matheson, who is an ND and is a groundbreaking doctor in the frontier of Lyme's disease and new paradigms in Lyme illness. Welcome, Dr. Marie. Dr. Marie, Lyme disease, is this a new disease, an old disease, or is it a masquerading disease? Tell me everything you know about Lyme's. Yeah, so it um, it is not a new disease. Uh, it, Lyme has been around for by goodness, uh, ages. I mean, there's some studies showing that um, there are some spirochetes found in King Tut's tomb. So uh, in ice ages. Um, so this is not a new disease. However, what perhaps has exacerbated the disease is the toxicity on this planet Earth. So what I'm trying to say there, Anne Louise, is that there are many people that could be walking around with the spirochetes in their body but are not ex exhibiting any symptoms. So it really has to do with the toxic load and the damage the body had prior to the infection. And I know that's a big can of worms to talk about, but uh, and to open up the subject matter with, but I really want the viewer to under gain an understanding that this has been around for a long time, but that perhaps the amount of exposure, the, uh, you know, what's going on in the earth in terms of global warming, bringing the ticks up more into the north, we're seeing a far more exposure to them, which is also exacerbating the whole situation. So what I wonder about is how does one know if one has Lyme disease? Is it just when you get on a certain toxic overload, you start testing away? Are there symptoms? Are there classical symptoms? Good question. So I would say, um, you know, the CDC states that, you know, 50% uh, of patients to 60% um, uh, have uh, recall a bite, right, or recall a uh, bullseye rash or some sort of rash. And I will tell you from experience clinically, that has not been the case. About 20% of my patients recall a rash. Um, and so if you're one of the lucky ones that saw the tick or, or, or you know, remember the rash, then... Um, you're lucky because you'll hopefully act on treatments right away, or you will after listening to this interview, um, and uh, you'll abate the symptoms quickly. But some people just kind of wake up sick, and Louise, and some wake up sick like they got hit by a truck sick, and some have slow moldering symptoms that may take a while to produce any type of uh, disease diagnosis, or as you called it, a masquerade, right? So the idea that, you know, do I have MS 
or do I have MS caused by Lyme disease, right? So if you start to dissect those symptoms, uh, oftentimes what we see with these autoimmune illnesses is that they are in fact uh, a, a sequelae of a chronic infection or toxin. So isn't mold toxicity sometimes confused with Lyme disease or the symptoms similar? You bet. You bet. Exactly. And I, I will say, if I'm to be really honest, there was a light bulb moment for me about seven years ago or eight years ago when I realized, hey, the 20% of my Lyme patients who aren't getting better, what if they have mold? What if that's underlying issue that's kind of feeding these bugs? And so without, you know, Ego aside, I literally cold called Anne Louise, my patients that I couldn't figure out. And I said, I listen, I think mold may be an issue. Are you willing to come back? And, and lo and behold, of course, they said, I'm still sick. Nobody else has figured this out. Of course I am. Mm -hmm. And lucky for me, they did come back. We tested them for mold, began some treatments and six to eight months down the road, they were feeling 100% better. So, you know, it really is the crux. And when I look at my methodology and my therapeutic order of healing and louise you know i always say the environmental remediation of mold emfs you know the clock actually doesn't start until this is really optimized my patients really do have to be out of mold whether it's in the car the office the school the home but you will not get better with lyme if mold is an underlying issue with you and and the symptoms as you say are so similar mold is a mycotoxin it's a gas some people can't even see it they just absorb it through the alveoli goes into the bloodstream and causes the same inflammatory cascade as Lyme disease same same symptoms except for a few that are different and here's where the difference is mold toxicity often gives electrical shock sensation the patients often feel ice pick pains. Mm -hmm. They often will complain of vibrating, pulsing sensations running up and down their spine or their body. Mm -hmm. The joint pains are stagnant or constant, meaning they don't shift. Where Lyme disease, what makes it really stand out is that the joint pains are migrating. It moves from one elbow to one knee, from one knee to the ankle. Patients just don't know what, what pain they're going to get one day. So those are the key differences, I would say. So Lyme disease is really a constellation, if I'm not sure. mistaken. When people get tested, they get tested for Borrelia, all the different varieties of Borrelia, the co-infections of Babesia, the Ehrlichia. So tell me sure. what the difference is in all those co-infections and Borrelia itself. Right. So depending on what um, the, the patient's symptoms are present with, we often diagnose Lyme disease or co-infections by the symptoms. It's oftentimes the best way to diagnose symptoms because the truth of the matter is, unfortunately, uh, there is no perfect test out there, Anne-Louise. There is no perfect lab test. Lab tests, even the most expensive, wonderful tests out there can be 
um, uh, it can lead to false uh, uh, negatives, excuse me. We never really see any false positives. But let's say you've got just classic Borrelia, which by the way, I never really see anymore. <laughs> you know, the classic uh, migrating joint pains, flu-like symptoms, um, you know, headaches or just fatigue or neck pain. There's very few patients that just come in with those symptoms. They often have a triad of neurological symptoms that present. For example, with Bartonella, we might see some purple striae stretch marks or skin rashes or modeling. Uh, they may come in, especially with kids with GI symptoms. Um, you know, Dr. Charles Ray Jones, who I trained with, back, the late Charles Ray Jones, he unfortunately passed away this year. Um, it, you know, he always taught me a child with seizures always rule out Bartonella. You know, mm -hmm. that is one of the key, key keynotes with Bartonella is seizures in kids. Mm -hmm. uh, Bartonella gives a lot of muscle twitches, anxiety, OCD. They have pain in their feet when they get up in the morning. So those are some peculiar sort of persistent nausea, um, uncontrolled rage, uh, pain in the shins. Those are some symptoms that we might find. Whereas with Babesia, it's kind of like you know, the worst sweats you'll ever get. So you'll see a, a 20 year old who's not in menopause, who's complaining about night sweats every night, uh, chills, fevers, flushing, cardiac chest palpitations. They might get shortness of breath. Uh, they might have a loss of appetite, disturbed sleep, numbness and tingling and dizziness is a big one with Babesia. Um, whereas when we're seeing other symptoms sort of like uh, anaplasma or lichia, they might complain that they have the worst headache or flu they've ever had. They may have severe headaches. They may have similar joints and pains, but they might also uh, on lab work note that they have elevated liver enzymes or leukopenia or thrombocytopenia. Uh, and the list goes on, uh, you know, with all of these, but those can give you some of the more popular type of co-infections. So it's really important as I say this, that the patient is seeing a Lyme literate physician that really understands this uh, and won't lump everything in the lens of Lyme disease, if you know what I mean. Of course. How does Epstein-Barr fit into all this, Dr. Marie? Well, that's a very good question in itself. I mean, Epstein-Barr can be uh, found in ticks, right? So you can get Epstein-Barr from a tick bite. But of course, as we know it, Epstein-Barr is uh, mononucleosis, right? It's kissing disease. So if I tell you it's kissing disease, how contagious does that sound to you, <laughs> right? So, I mean, you can get this by sipping somebody's glass of water. And, and the truth is, we may all have Epstein-Barr virus. I mean, for goodness sakes, the amount of patients, of, of ill patients that I treat, I, I've no doubt probably have the antibodies for Epstein-Barr virus. But again, if a patient is presenting with severe symptoms of fatigue and severe, specifically the keynote symptom with EBV is post-exertional fatigue, meaning this. I go to the gym and when I go to the gym, Dr. Marie, I only work out for half an hour, but I am wiped out, exhausted, and I pay for it for four days later. Whoa. Right? So that's the difference with a viral load. You have this, it's beyond, it's like the patient sitting in front of you, Anne Louise. And yes, they have, they may have fatigue from Lyme disease, but when it comes with a viral load like Coxsackie, EBV, CMV, all of these, 
they have such fatigue. You can see it behind, on their eyes, actually. They, they kind of have this heaviness in their eyes. Like they can barely, their eyes feel so heavy, they can barely keep them open in your office. And they're just so exhausted. And you ask them, is there any time that you're ever not tired? And they go, no, I could sleep at the drop of a hat, right? So patients who are narcoleptic or patients who actually sleep at any point of the day, you always have to have, be triggered to think that this might be a red flag for a viral load. So thank you for bringing this up because you know we're seeing a lot of resurgence of Epstein Barr in the last uh, few years, um, and it's really another piece. So once you've tr felt as a physician that if there's any doctors listening to this, that you've done everything to treat the bacteria, but the patient is still really tired, and that's the number one symptom they're feeling. Please, 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 always be thinking of what viruses might be playing a part. So what do we do? Well, let's talk about a couple of things here because you've opened up a Pandora's box, Dr. Marie, which is a good thing, which is a good thing indeed. So is there an herb of choice to treat Lyme and the co-infections? Yeah, so there's so many herbs that we do use. Um, you know, in the co-infections, one of my all-time favorites is cryptolepsis. Um, I often use Podarco, even though that's been used to treat yeast. Um, we use so many like Dipticus, we use a teasel root. Um, there are so many. I really love treating things in combination. So it's very rare that I'll use a single herb because remember that these herbs are broad spectrum in action. They're sort of umbrella-like. So when I'm treating with several herbs, let's say six or seven in a mixture, I'm actually being able to target a lot of things. So I might say, hey, this herb, uh, for example, BAB2 is used for Babesia, but guess what? It also will treat a bit of parasites. It's gonna do a darn good job of treating a bit of yeast as well. And it's got herbs in there that are gonna help with detoxification, which is, by the way, a big reason as to why people don't get better is because they just can't get rid of these infections and they can't move forward with their protocols because they get stuck in our Herx reactions, which we'll talk about. But really a broad spectrum of herbs is really what I like using. I use supplements as well. I use different treatments like FSM. We use saunas to help patients detoxify, foot baths. Uh, we really use a wide variety of treatments here at BioHeal to really make sure that we're covering all our bases. And, you know, it's, it's funny when I ask patients, you know, hey, what was it that, what, and now that you're all better, what did I do that really helped? And they'll sit there, not, not one patient ever does anything different. They all say this, they all rhyme up on the 10 fingers, all the 10, you know, and they keep going like, this helped me, this helped me, this helped me, right? So, right, it's not one thing that made you sick, Anne Louise. And it's certainly not one thing that's gonna get you better. So, so it's really broad spectrum. Tell me a little bit about your practice now. Tell me about BioHeal. You're, you, you're out of Ottawa, so you're out of Canada. Do you take patients long distance from the US? Yeah, we do. And how does that work? Hi, my friends. Before I go any further, let me take a moment to, to acknowledge my sponsor, Unikey Health at unikeyhealth.com, which is your universal key to health 
since 1992. I have been a spokesperson for this company for over 30 years. They're the home of all my weight loss plans, the Fab Lasting Bio Builder, which has been featured in national magazines. They also carry the ultimate brain support and the magnesium multitasker. So whether it's weight loss, internal cleansing, or just targeted health support, go to unikeyhealth.com. Tell them Anne Louise sent you. Uh, so um, as long as I can uh, prove that there is no um, doctor uh, in your area that can't help you, that we offer something different, then it abides by my college rules. Um, uh, and otherwise, we, we do uh, long distance sort of uh, phone consults or um, webcam videos in some cases um, where excellent. we can do consultations from afar. Excellent, excellent. And tell me about Epstein-Barr, which has reared its ugly head. Is there something people can look at doing for that as well? I know people take high doses of lysine. I've looked at lemon balm and a number of herbs. I don't see anything that really helps it. Yeah. So one thing we found to be incredible is a product called Aqualorin. And I think once this interview goes out, it's, this is going to go bang, gangbusters. But Aqualorin is uh, monoglyceride. Um, uh, uh, with a water molecule compound that emulates breast milk, and it is bar none the best thing uh, for treating uh, biofilms, um, Lyme disease, viruses. You spell and... that for my anxious listeners as well as your. Yeah, you bet. So aqua like water. So a q, uh, yeah, a q u a l a u r i n. Aqualorin. Um, and it is uh, easy to take. It tastes like um, biting into an orange. Um, it's a gel-like, um, you know, maximum dose is about a eighth to a quarter teaspoon twice a day. Uh, you can take it with or without food. So it just makes it, I mean, if you're a listener here listening and you've got Lyme, you know, your doctor's always said, like, take this with food, take this without food, empty stomach two hours, you know, don't take this with this, this contradict, you know, this one is so easy. It has been a game changer in our practice for really helping shift and move patients forward. So I'm super thrilled and excited. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm so delighted. But there are those of my listeners that are going to want to test. So if you had to test, which labs would you choose? Well, I really like Armin Labs, and I'll tell you why. Um, they're a lab out in Germany, and I like them because they test for the viruses too. So I'm really glad you brought this up. I don't get asked that question often, but it really is sometimes um, and emulates a lot of the same symptoms as Lyme disease. So it's really important in my estimation to check for viruses because you might really be missing part of the case. So I really love doing a Tickplex Plus, which covers about nine different infections. Um, I oftentimes run an LE spot test, which will check for the T cells, active infections as well with these all these co-infections, including the viral load. And so I feel like it just gets a broad spectrum testing and I can dot all my I's and cross my T's and really make sure that we haven't missed the viral piece. Or what if the patient has both virus and bacteria? Mm. Or what if it's not Lyme at all? And it's just, as you say, Epstein-Barr, then it helps the physician proceed appropriately with treatment. Whereas some of the other companies don't offer this sort of testing in terms of the viral load. And so it 
ends up costing. And at the end of the day, Anne Louise, the costs of having this illness are tremendous. And I'm always into saving patients money. And in saying that, you know, I treat sometimes family of six, right, that are all sick. I am not going to test all six people. It's just too expensive. I will test the two sickest patients and then empirically treat the rest. And that I have found to be really um, fantastic way to approach treatment in cases where treatment uh, testing is not affordable. Are you seeing an uptick in Lyme since we're coming, I don't even know if we're coming out of COVID, but we're certainly in the age of COVID. Are you seeing a preponderance of Lyme during this COVID epidemic? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's just people are trying to get outdoors more. People are trying to become one with nature. Um, and although there's a little bit more uh, you know, information and education than there was even just three years ago. Um, we just really have to be mindful. And, and you know, it, especially in April, you know, as soon as the weather starts to get nice here in Canada, all us Canadians are excited to get outside. But, you know, ticks can live under minus 20 conditions. So, you know, they are hungry and hunting by April. So typically around Easter, we get a lot of calls in our office for uh, fresh tick bites. Um, so it's really important to be vigilant at all times, but certainly April, May, June are our heaviest months in terms of fresh tick bites. Can mosquitoes transmit this? Yeah, so that's a good question. So because mosquitoes they they can't the answer the, the the answer is yes however i believe because ticks attach for much longer this is why they're more likely to pass infections whereas a mosquito bite in some ways and louise we're all getting slightly inoculated to lyme or babesia but because the bite is so quick and out there's very very little infection our immune system deals with it and off we go however I have had cases where the patient was bitten by 28 mosquitoes mm. in an endemic area, mm. all at the same time that developed serious Lyme and Babesia symptoms um, because of that inoculation, that heavy load, if you will, you know, more infection passed all at once was too much for the immune system to keep in check. Does that make sense? To, to me, it does. And then I wonder about geographic areas. Are we talking about in, in the United States, for example, in the Northeast, the Southwest? Is there any particular area that's more endemic? Absolutely. So the, the, the you know, I, I would say both of what you, you talked about are probably the most endemic and I go more north and you've got the eastern townships in Canada here as well as Halifax. Um, uh, and, and so on, and, and Nova Scotia, those are very endemic areas. Why? Because it's moist and near water, right? So mm -hmm. ticks need a moist, uh, cool sort of, um, you know, warmer, cool sort of areas in order to thrive. They love to hang out in leaf piles on long grasses. So, um, you know, this is where we really need to be vigilant. You know, I always sort of laugh watching my sister, my kids, you know, I, I believe I, I don't want to live in fear and Louise. Okay. So I still hike. Now, do I parkour like I used to back in the day with my kids? No. However, 
um, you know, watching my kids, especially when they were younger, sort of walking on a trail and sort of dodging like ninjas uh, bushes to make sure that they weren't getting, um, you know, touched by any branches that might uh, land them with a tick. So, you know, we really want to be uh, er careful on the coastal areas, especially near long grass. You know, I went to school across from Lyme, Connecticut, and Lyme, of course, Connecticut is where they first found the first cases of Lyme in the 70s, which is when I went to college. So I've always been so interested in Lyme. Can you have long-term Lyme infections and not even know it, Dr. Marie? Correct. So a perfect case I can tell you is one of my patients in his 70s um, who recently had lost his wife. Um, he recalls as a child picking ticks off before he got on the bus. Oh, so waiting oh for God. the bus, getting, you know, and just leaning against long grass and getting tick bites. Well, he lived a really healthy life and no symptoms up until his wife passed away. Within a week of her passing, he started to get joint pains all over. He mm -hmm. started to exhibit neurological symptoms. And so my point here being is that the stress and the cortisol, the epinephrine that flew throughout his body uh, from the stress of losing his beloved after 50 years was enough to blow open what's called biofilms where the infections can be hiding in like a cocoon, like a mucilaginous um, cocoon made out of carbohydrates, fats, heavy metals, minerals, and it can live there you know, doing nothing for years up until a car accident, up until a divorce, a loss of a loved one, et cetera, et cetera. So that triggering event can actually blow open biofilms and cause the symptoms to suddenly happen when somebody, you know, says, you know, I've been living in a condo. I have not left my winter in Canada. How come I have symptoms now? Right. Mm -hmm. So that's how that can happen. Or I have a child who recalls getting a tick bite in September and then uh, in May got pushed in basketball and fell and had a se severe concussion and the next day woke up with joint pains and neurologists couldn't figure out why is this concussion leading to joint pains. And again, it's because of this biofilm theory. So do you think a lot of the neurological issues could be Lyme in origin? I'm looking at Alzheimer's, ALS, Parkinson's. Sure. I mean, when you look at Dr. Alan McDonald's studies, he's, he's in, um, in, um, in, in, uh, down in the U.S. studying Lyme disease. Um, he says that, you know, at least seven out of 10 brains have been found with spirochetes in the brain. So we're starting to think more and more, could infections be a leading cause of some of these, you know, quote unquote, autoimmune illnesses? You know, that blood brain barrier, Anne Louise, that we were told is so, is such a good barrier, um, as we've proven with COVID is not, right? One of the common symptoms with long COVID is, is brain fog. Um, so it's just as leaky as the gut. And so could yeast, could parasites, viruses, bacteria, could those be actually passing through the blood brain barrier and leading to a lot of the dementias that we're seeing? What about MS? What about chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, Hashimoto's thyroiditis? You know, could any of these illnesses be actually caused by chronic infections, chronic toxins, and that maybe, and just maybe, if we can actually treat those chronic infections and toxins, figure out where the trigger occurred, 
can these patients have the ability to actually live a long, fulfilled life symptom-free with and remove these labels, these medical, medical labels? And so, you know, when you walk into our building here, it says, you know, we treat the cause, not the medical label, because I'm really passionate about unlocking people that are so trapped in this medical condition, right? Uh, Dr. Marie, do I have MS or do I have Lyme disease? Well, what mm -hmm. if, what if, your MS is caused by Lyme disease. So mm -hmm. yes, the MS is helpful for me because I can communicate with your doctor, with your neurologist. And when your neurologist tells me this, I'm referring a patient with MS, I know your symptoms. You've got numbness and tingling, you've got fatigue, you've got lesions in the brain, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't tell us the why. We need to sit here and think, Anna Louise, why do I have this diagnosis? Things diseases, I believe, honestly, through and through, that they are not idiopathic, meaning that there is no known cause, there is a cause to mm -hmm. everything in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we can find the causal chain, then we will find the solution, then we might have a chance at finding a cure. And I believe that through and through, we have a wheelchair access to our building and it is the most rewarding, rewarding feeling, Anne Louise, when we have MS patients, for example, who walk out without their wheelchairs. You know, for me, it's like Christmas morning. <laughs> so the reality is there's nothing incurable. You're just not looking in the right place for the root cause. You got it. I love it. And you look for the root causes, Dr. Marie. Now, how can we look for you once again as we close out this wonderful segment? Yeah, so um, you can uh, have a look at our website. It's pretty robust with a bunch of information, uh, www.biohealottawa.com. Uh, we've got lots of great things going on there. Of course, I do one-on-one -on -one consultations, but I have this incredible aspirational group program called Lime Bright Collective. Um, that is fantastic. So you can join our wait list there or register. And um, we've got lots of fun things going on there. And um, of course, you can email our office at info at biohealottawa.com. Thank you for being my guest. Any parting words on Lyme? I, parting words would be that there is hope, that you don't have to live uh, with this illness, that there is hope to get better. Uh, you just have to find the right person to nudge you in the right direction. And I say that because patients always go, oh, thank you for healing me. And I said, you did it. I just kind of <laughs> nudged you on the right path, right? So you, you your found body- the, You found yeah. the key to open the lock. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you for being my guest, Dr. Marie. And thank, thank you. you. It's an honor. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for doing what you do, Anne Louise. You're wonderful. You're so welcome. Thank you, everyone, for being with me today and First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Tune in once again next week with all of our lovely guests, just like Dr. Marie, who are full of passion, inspiration, motivation, and hope. Have a lovely week. Shalom. Please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.